I just realized you're recording, you sneaky, sneaky devil. <laughs> I told you. Yeah, I know. You warned me. Conversation. Yeah. You I told- love it. But now, but now there's going to be this spot where people are going to get to this like three minutes in and they're like, wow, like, dude, you're spitting straight facts. There's like, you mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I should have known, like, you, you prepared me. But you know what happened was I was sitting there, like, telling the story and I was like, I wonder how I would word this different if I knew he was actually record. Oh, wait a second. There it is. Oh, there Lord. it is. There it is. Well played. Well played. So let me let me let me back up again. To to answer your question, like, did entrepreneurship find me or did I find entrepreneurship? Is that kind of how you worded it? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. So for me, I think it started where it found me when I was a kid. Because I didn't I didn't know any better. But from a young age, I started delivering newspapers, me and my brother. I was like mm-hmm. eight mm-hmm. and he was 12. And part of that is not only getting up early and delivering papers every day, but we actually had to go collect the money at the end of each month from the customers. So I'm like literally an eight-year-old kid getting comfortable knocking on the doors of these grown-ups and going into their house and asking them to pay up. Uh, which was no way. I never realized that was a part of paper routes. Yeah. At least it was where, where I was at. Yeah, I assume yeah. that's, you know, I'm a, this is, this would have been early nineties. Um, and so you get comfortable with, with that. Now it helps. You're probably, you know, a cute little kid. Like, so people aren't going to turn you away. But then I did though, get to experience people who would say like, no, nah, I don't have it right now. You know, can you come back tomorrow or whatever? Um, and so like having awkward conversations and, and being a little collections boy, there's a lot to learn from that. You have to say is that's a big, big newspaper using cute kids to collect on their I know, right? Uh, on their overdue paper route money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Send their little minions out in the cold to go go talk to these people. But then from there, once you've collected all of that, now you have to actually physically go into the newspaper building. It was called the News Gazette. This is in the Midwest. And the your boss guy or whatever, like collects all of the money, keeps 98% of it for himself, and then hands you back your piece, right? We earned like 90 to $100 a month for doing this. So that was also a learning experience. It's like, oh, okay. So I, it was laying the groundwork for how taxes feel, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so I learned a lot from that. And then as I got a little bit older, we started cutting grass for our neighbors, which in itself was, was cool. You know, you, you get this sense of like, all right, cool. I can go. Yeah. It's a little bit of work, but the money's pretty good. You know, I I go do this for an hour and then someone gives me 20 bucks and it's just cash. It's like, that's, I like that. Let me keep doing that. You know, under the table work, baby. Yeah. And Again, you don't know what I was just a kid just doing my thing, but it wasn't just the act of providing the service, but then all these other lessons that you learn along the way. For instance, we had to go knocking on doors asking our neighbors if they wanted us to cut their grass in the first place. And so I'm learning how to prospect, you know, and I'm learning how to take rejection when people tell me that they're not interested or that they do it themselves and that it's, it might take a hundred tries before you get somebody who takes you up on it. And then you get there. Usually we were actually using those people's lawnmowers 
and their trimmers or whatever to do the job because it's not like I had a legit lawn mowing business. I'm just a neighborhood kid. But then you learn what happens when this lawnmower doesn't start and they've got old gas or the thing needs oil or, you know, whatever it is. It's just like now it's teaching me all of these unexpected obstacles and how you just have to adapt and overcome this stuff and just figure out a way. Right. And so then it started with, with lawn mowing and then in the summer and spring, and then in the fall we would rake leaves and in the winter we would shovel snow. And so you just are learning all of these lessons along the way. And I think that that's kind of where entrepreneurship found me. Like I'm, I'm becoming a little entrepreneur before I even knew what that word was or what it meant. So then, you know, in my later teenage years is when I've got my first, you know, kind of quote unquote job where all of a sudden it's like eight bucks an hour. Are you kidding me? Like I can go cut grass and make more than double that if I just do this on my own and I don't have a boss and I don't have to take orders and do it your way and all this other kind of stuff. And it was just like, this is kind of a ripoff. I mean, I get that it's consistent and you know how many hours you're going to have each week and whatever. And that's not the case with entrepreneurship, but I really couldn't get over the fact that like, there's such a big difference between what I can earn in an hour's time. So by the time I, I actually got out of college, I'm a, I'm a former IT guy by trade. I've been the go-to computer nerd amongst my friends and families from a very, very young age, which also happens to be something that you can earn a pretty decent hourly rate doing that stuff, especially once you start getting into businesses who rely on these systems. So when I got out of college, I moved to Kentucky and I took a job uh, for this company doing that type of work. But I already knew going into it. I, in fact, I even daydreamed about what it would be like to own my own business. So at some point, that it went from entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship choosing me to me choosing it. Uh, and I don't know exactly when that happened, but I think it was just getting a taste of it, getting a taste of the, the freedoms that come with it, being able to picture clearly what life would be like if I went all in on this thing and started building something for myself, how that could, that could really change the trajectory long-term. So I think my, that's my very long winded way of saying both. I think just at different stages of life, me and entrepreneurship, we we go way back. Right. Well, I think it's important to understand like you, something that you said right there at the end, I think is something that's really important for people to, to grasp. And because I, I, you spend so much time in this in this age where there's content everywhere um, of people, you know, starting business. Like being an entrepreneurial, being an entrepreneur is sexy nowadays, right? Like it has this it has this draw to it, you know. Like, oh, you own a business, it's so cool. Um, That's for people who've never done it before, <laughs> right? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And so, so to to have had the blessing so early on to you know, a lot of the salespeople I talk to talk about the thousand hours that you need to spend getting rejected on cold calls in order to build the skin capable of being a good salesperson. You know, like um, there's people in in HR or admin that are like, you know, until you fielded a hundred conflicts that you need to resolve, you don't really have the intuition of a of an HR specialist, right? Um, and so like being able to go out there as a kid and have the entrepreneurial 
lane kind of show itself and then you have the opportunity to take it and to face those no's, the obstacles, the, you know, I'll check with my wife when she gets home, the, you know, all of those conversations that happen. And then as well, like you're, you have to co-collaborate with other kids, you know, their peers to help with, you know, different parts of the project or, you know, it's, um, it's really, there's not a whole lot of difference between com- like managing a community of peers and friends to make money under the table as like running a business. There's just a little bit of extra paperwork um, when you're actually running the business and uncle Sam gets a cut. Right. Um, <laughs> you the know, fundamentals are the same. The fundamentals are exactly the same. Um, whether you're trying to organize a group of people to come over and get a tree cut up so that you can have a bonfire or you're trying to do trash cleanup on your street or you're trying to run a company, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get people together, you align them behind a similar goal, you get them motivated, you have a reward or reward at the end of the thing that you're trying to get done. I mean, all of those types of principles apply. And I think what's so beautiful about that last portion that you kind of leaned into was because I was able to have these experiences and have that lesson, I was able to bypass this period of like vision board building or manifestation or whatever people call it now. I was able to very clearly articulate in my head and visualize what life would be like if I pursued entrepreneurship full force. And that's not... That's not a headspace that everybody can find themselves in when they go to make that transition for a lot of people. Or I'm curious, was it was there a mist in front of that vision at first and then it got clearer over time? Was it just, I've been sitting here thinking about this for you know months on end and it's so clear that now I have to take this leap. Otherwise, you know I'm never going to do it. Or what was that transition like from, okay, I, I know I've been set up with these experiences. I know that I have this vision. When did that trigger point kind of be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take a leap and start my own thing, or I need to, to start building um, my own community company, whatever that looks like. Yeah. So it's interesting because looking back on it, I feel like all of those things I did as a kid, they were, that was kind of a good education for me, you know, firsthand experience learning the principles, the fundamentals of providing a service to someone in exchange for money. But none of that actually prepared me for running a business, right? Because those are actually two different things. I mean, you you have to have those fundamentals to run a successful business, but there's this completely different skill set that you need to develop to run a full-fledged business. And as the first person in my family to start a business, you know, we did not grow up sitting around the dinner table talking about everything that you need to, to run a successful business and to grow one. So I had this vision in my mind before I started a business of providing a service like I had done uh, throughout my childhood. But in this case, it was going to be IT related support. But, you know, I, it painted this really pretty picture of the financial freedom and the freedom of time that comes with it. And I was looking at it through rose rose colored glasses, right? And then got pretty blindsided by quite a few different things that like kept happening and truthfully if I had known everything that I was going to face if I had known all that in advance, I don't know if I would have gone for it or not. You know. I hear that so often and I personally feel the same way too. And I talked to uh you know there's this cool line between um like entrepreneur and entrepreneur right? I, is one way I've heard it described. And when you're in that entrepreneur stage, like everything looks 
fantastic. You're like, there's no dog shit in the other yard. It's always fertilized, you know, like the, the mulch looks great. Like you're standing on the other side of the fence and then you jump over and you immediately realize like how much labor your neighbor actually puts into maintaining that badass lawn. And you're like, Whoa, holy shit. I thought it was just a little bit of fertilizer, dude. I didn't realize it was a, a whole underground sprinkler system on timers with, you know, two lawn care guys that you employ and you own a mulch factory and like, you know, right. All of this stuff that goes into it. So yeah, it's it's a rude awakening. But would you do it all over again? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, right. Like no no hesitation there at all. And the reason for that is, I think it's like there's probably a, a theme here where you go into it. I had never heard that term, entrepreneur, but that's I like that uh, because it instantly gives you an idea of like, oh, okay, so you just haven't been beat down yet. Your day is coming, right? <laughs> You don't know it, but yeah. you're about to get hit by a Mack truck. And that's okay, <laughs> right? Because I think that that's almost like a rite of passage. That's that's part of part of the entrepreneurial experience. Hopefully, though, you can get over what I call the entre- entrepreneurial hump. Because when you're first starting out, you've got this like monumental task of of, you know, kind of giving birth to this this business and getting it up out of the ground and building this machine and you have to do everything. You wear all the hats, right? It's all on you to get this thing going. And that's a monumental task. It's like pushing a big heavy ball up a very, very steep hill. Right. And what breaks my heart is to think about people who never get over the hump. They never get on the right side of that hill because if you can stick it out long enough and you're, you persevere long enough and you work hard enough, you'll hit this inflection point where all of a sudden things start getting a little bit easier. Customers start coming more easily. Profit margins start to grow. You start making more money while working less and you're building this machine and you go into this mode where you're actually now spending more time refining the machine than you are trying to get the thing to fire up in the first place. Right. And once that happens, it has a direct impact on your your lifestyle, your peace of mind, your freedom of time, freedom of choice of who you want to work with. There's no cap on your income. There's like all these things start to congeal at once. And then once that ball's rolling down the hill and you've gotten a taste of that, you're like, I would never, ever go back. You know, I mean, if you some strange circumstance and you have to, to provide for your family, so be it. Like I respect that. But as long as I have a choice, I'm, I would never, never go back. No hesitation. Yeah. I love that. And I also love the idea of when you're in that process of building, you don't know when that inflection point is going to come. And most of the time don't realize that you've passed it until you're so far past it that you're like, wait a second, why am I not freaking out right now? Yeah. When did that happen? Um, Yeah. When did that go down? I remember hitting that. Oh, it was probably year four. You know, we've been at this almost six now. Um, And I remember one of the best piece of advice, just like in line with, with what you're, what you just said there, the two, one of the best pieces of advice um, that I got early, early on, I actually went to a pitching competition and got destroyed at this pitching competition by this investor. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, He said, commit to a five-year vision 
and expect it to fail almost fail at least three times before that five years is up. And that also stayed like held true. But I remember the first time we almost tanked, I was like, all right, here's the one out of three. I got to make it through the first one, you know? And then the second time it happened, it wasn't like, oh my God, we suck. It was like, all right, this was supposed to happen. It's going to give us an opportunity to fix things, grow. I'm going to have to patch holes. I'm going to have to work on some things internally because, you know, I'm not the same man that I was when I started the business. I had to, there's a lot of qualities of mine that had to be removed. There's a lot of things I had to learn um, to know, to get to the place where we're at now. But I think that that piece of advice of just like prefacing the shit show and just being saying, Hey, commit to it. It doesn't mean that you're wrong just because you fail, even to the point where you like almost crash the company. Like as long as you have people that are willing to show up and you're willing to put forth the effort, try to make it through those down, those down periods. Cause that's where you learn the most. And to a T Every time we hit those low points, every time I was sitting in my truck, like sobbing, wondering why the fuck did I quit my nursing job? Um, within, you know, a month or two after that point, we had, you know, pitched a deal at the highest margin that we ever landed or brought on a person or met somebody that connected us to somebody. And then it started moving. And, you know, next thing you know, four years in after almost bankrupting multiple times, um, and that's not everybody's journey, but. It's, you know, it's very not true uncommon. for mine. It's, it's a, yeah, it's not uncommon. We're four years in now. We have such a strong referral network because people have seen us struggle and they've seen us come back from the struggle that they know that we're going to be around to take care of them, regardless of what's going on politically, macroeconomically, whatever else. They know that we're scrappy and we've proven that. Um, and so now we're just getting referral on referral on referral from our loyal customer base. And that base grew over the course of those five years. I haven't spent a dime in paid advertising in two years. We run strictly off of referrals and community partners to get our, our work. And that's because we're just dedicated to the journey and dedicated to the vision, less so a metric tied to success or like beating yourself up because you're not on some timeline, you know, or you're not, you know, you read some article and it's like, this 25 year old is making seven figures by working 10 hours a week. And you're like, damn, well, I'm not doing that. Like, hate those. what's wrong with me? I hate them so much too, because you get into your own head. And so if you can get out of that space and stay true to your journey and just keep pushing through stuff, it's amazing when it'll happen. And you, you know, one day you'll just wake up. At least this is what it feels like for me. One day I woke up and it's like our pipeline was full. I realized that there was no customer conflicts I had to take care of that day. I had one or two meetings and the rest of my day was free for me to actually like work on to where I want to take the company next. And I was mm-hmm. like, holy crap. I was like, it's happening. Right. This is like, I could call my dad right now and have lunch on at 11 AM on a Wednesday. Yep. There's oh, the that's so cool. Yeah. Well, so. And that what's awesome to me about that is a couple of things. For starters, the fact that that guy in, at the pitching competition prepped you for it. Like, that's the type of thing I'm talking about when I, I say, like, people who are the first ones in their family to start a business, they don't have their family prepping them for stuff like this, right? So you don't know what to expect. And you, like we said earlier, you're going into it with rose colored glasses. Reality is quickly going to set you straight. 
But if you didn't have that kind of as like an anchor to set the expectation, like it's normal to feel like you're going to fail or to be close to failure and have to figure out a way out of this and to have that happen multiple times before you get over that hump. Like if you hadn't known that, there's a much higher probability that you would have maybe given up because you're like, this is, I've had a brush with death and I need to just get off of this roller coaster before it kills me. Right. Oh yeah. That first time, if I wouldn't have had that as an anchor, I doubt I would have made it through the first borderline bankruptcy, let alone like the partner exiting the company or anything else. There's just like, Oh, I, I would have felt like, Oh, this is all my fault. Like, I just don't know what I'm doing. I shouldn't be an entrepreneur. Um, and that's so dangerous, right? Because all of us are susceptible to that. Like that yep. self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, not knowing what you don't know, <laughs> you know, all of these things and just not having any friends and family that you can talk to that also truly understand, right? Like they might give you a listening ear, they might be compassionate, but they if they haven't been there themselves, they don't they don't really know what to tell you. And in fact, they might give you the exact wrong advice sometimes. Right. Why don't you just go back to take a day job then, you know? Yep. That's exactly what I was just going to say. Cause that's what they know. And it's not any fault of their own, you know, like they're trying to protect you and do what they know how to do. But to your point, like in the entrepreneurial space, sometimes like as an entrepreneur, that's one or two chapters ahead, you can look at somebody's journey and be like, yo, you are, you are right at the breaking point. If you, if you push three more months, Exactly. Something like this could go down. Whereas to somebody that's never passed through the abyss, so to speak, or has like made it through that rip in the void, they don't know what it looks like on the other side of that wall. So they're just going to say, well, return to safety and security because that's your best bet. Yep. If, I mean, if you were going to climb, climb Mount Everest, do you want to talk to someone who's never climbed Mount Everest? (laughs) Or do you want the Sherpa who like lives up (laughs) there? Yeah, you're right. That's a good way to, that's a great way to point it out. It's like, yeah, yeah. I don't want the Sherpa. Are you kidding me? I don't want some some schmuck from like the urban side of northern US. Right. Or but what if it's like before. your best friend? You know, someone who loves you and cares about you, but he's never climbed Everest. Are you gonna take advice from him? I don't know. It's still schmuck level. <laughs> if you're trying to give me advice on that, he's like, yo, no. You're right. And so that's just it. Is like it, it, and we also can't see ourselves and our businesses the way people our peers can either right you know so here we are filled with self-doubt and insecurity and anxiety and all these other things at times someone else who who's been there done that that's obviously valuable but who also is not you and they can look at you and look at where your business is and be able to spot the the trajectory that you're on to be able to tell you, like you said, hey, man, give this a few more months. Like I can see from here that things are brewing and that this is going to this is going to go or uh, I see where you're headed and you need to make an adjustment three degrees this way because you're about to fall into a pit. Just FYI. Right. Right. Like that, that's I where. Just, yep. Yeah. It makes all the difference. Yeah, I just had a conversation like that with somebody the other day because they're riding this roller coaster between, you know, when they're selling the work that they execute on, they're not executing on the work. And when they're executing on the work, they're not selling. So they're just like revenue skyrockets and then it tanks and then it skyrockets and then it tanks. And they haven't caught on to that pattern yet. And so we sat down in a conversation yesterday and I said, listen, I was like, Every three months we get on a phone call and you're freaking out about revenue that you're going to have for next quarter. 
And I was like, have you thought, you know, and I explained the idea of kind of extending the deal length and some pretty technical business stuff as far as sales goes. And they're like, oh, that's why I've been experiencing these highs and lows so intensely for the last, you know, six months. It's like, right. And sometimes you just need, it's a natural part of going through the process because you just don't know how to regulate it yet. It's like a kid getting a new toy, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of not really understanding how to fully play with it yet. But the longer that you kind of, you get better at getting the race car to stay on the track instead of running into the walls, you know, after you get to play with it a little bit. But revenue is kind of like a new toy. (laughs) <laughs> you know, when you, when it, it, you can do limitless things with it, you could invest it in yourself. You could take it out. You could buy, get a VA to delegate stuff to, you could buy software. There's like all these cool things you can do with it. So once you learn like, Oh, this is not just, I can't just chase this all the time. Right. I actually need to like bring in a certain amount of it and then I need to go do this. And then when this number gets too low, I need to go find more of it. And, and it becomes this, this, this yep. Yeah. I, yep, I instead kind of, of just like the pendulum swinging back and forth. And you're like, I have no work. I have too much work. I have no work. I have too much work. Right. And then the financial piece doing the opposite thing. Right. At the same time, I, I kind of think of it like playing a piano. You know, it takes two hands to play a piano if you want to do this properly. But think of how hard it is to control both at the same time and to be able to read mm-hmm. music. You know, it's it's hard enough to like get used to reading the music and learning how to do it with one hand and then you can switch the other hand. It just takes practice and time to understand how to do both at once and build up that muscle memory and get get your brain to where it's I think regulated is the term that you've you've used and which is which is really good. So some of that's practice and there's there's no replacement for that, just time and experience. But then some of it is just people pointing things out to you. And suddenly you can look at it differently or see it clearly. And you never, you weren't really going to on your own, at least not for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I love the idea of um, like leaning on mentors for that purpose and, and realizing that you don't need to find this person. that's like a guru in your space. That's been around for 40 years and they're going to answer all your questions like an Oracle on top of a mountain. Right. Right. Most of the valuable mentors that I've found, I'm curious about your experience with this, are really people that are either peers building something very similar or somebody that is like two chapters ahead of me in the process um, and is able to kind of provide that advice. I do have like, you know, one guy that I call my Yoda. He's actually that investor that it, it like ripped me apart on that first pitch. Oh, same and guy. You know, he's in his 60s. Nice. Um, yeah, he got on the train. I haven't let him get off yet. So... <laughs> Yeah, um, I think that there's value in all of them and you just need to know what to expect from each of them. So take your Yoda guy. You know, a lot of those guys are are going to bring a ton of valuable experience to the table. And you might be fortunate enough to find one who just out of the goodness of their heart, you know, want to help you because there are people out there like that. But a lot of times these so-called gurus, you know, they they have something to sell you. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Or even if they're legit, you know, they can be very, very expensive. Um, and sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect to depending on how long it's been since they've done what you're doing and what has, has changed since then. So I think there's pros and cons there. But then finding somebody who is just a step or two ahead of you, that's useful now in its own way because it's, this is still fresh for them. Right. They were they're right there with you. Uh, they can help illuminate your path a little bit. 
ahead of where you are today, but they may not know what the long-term vision looks like because they haven't been there yet themselves, right? And then there's your your person who's not even in the same industry as you. And maybe they they do a completely different business and they've been at it for as long as you have. But what I love about people like that is if you get people from all these different industries in a room together and you present one problem, you're you're going to see one problem getting attacked 12 different ways, right? And so they bring this perspective and this outside the box thinking that you're not you're not going to get either internally or even from people within your own industry who are a step or two ahead of you. There's they're attacking it the way that people in that industry do. Sometimes that completely left field perspective is just like not only opens a new way for you to think, but it also reveals how other people might think that even aren't even in your your little sphere there. So I, I think it's um, everybody needs to find probably more than one area or person that they can turn to adv- for advice and mentorship. And, and even if it's just a shoulder to cry on or a listening ear, they all are going to provide value in their own way. You just need to know which pieces to, to take away from it. Right. Well, and that's actually, I mean, what you're really, I mean, one of the key pieces that you're trying to build with first gen. And I think this is probably a great place to kind of jump into the community that you're actually creating um, where these types of conversations happen. And, and if I'm right, what you just kind of explained is something that y'all call the hot seat. That's right. Um, so maybe just let's rewind a little bit and we can kind of get into the hot seat eventually, but, but what is first gen? Um, I know you mentioned earlier on in the pod that, you know, you're passionate about people that don't come from a family of entrepreneurs or it's their first kind of, they're the first person in their family, um, starting a company. Um, so is that kind of, was that the inspiration for it or what's the story behind first gen? It is. Yeah. So I was the first person in my family to start a business. Um, and with that came a lot of uncertainty, right? Like I alluded to earlier, I was in for a rough ride and I didn't know it, which maybe I was, maybe that's a good thing. Uh, but the fact is, is like, I made a lot of costly mistakes, costly, not just in terms of money, but costly in terms of time, right? Like I didn't know any of the shortcuts. I didn't know some of the basic things, uh, that really turned into these big setbacks and, Eventually, I was able to hire a business coach, but it wasn't until I had been in business for like six years or so. And I only waited that long because that's how long it took before I could afford that guy. <laughs> you know, he he was he was awesome. I had a wonderful experience. It finally gave me all this mentorship, this kind of father figure in a business sense that I had so badly wanted. But it was a lot of money, right? And I had to I had to go through a lot of trials and tribulations to even get to the point where I could afford somebody like that. But then once I rubbed shoulders with him for a while and got tremendous value out of it, I couldn't help but think, what if I had had access to that from day one? Like, that would have made such a big difference in my first five years. So now that I've sold my business, which has now been coming up on two years ago, thinking about what I want to do next, being able to help other people who are in the same boat that I was in in 2006 when I started, the first ones in their family to start a business, all the anxieties and the uncertainties that come with that. You look at the statistics of how many businesses fail in their first year, five years, 10 years is way too high. And then people are missing out on the opportunities that entrepreneurship brings because of that. And so 
my concept is, hey, instead of trying to position myself as an expert or a guru and you can pay me as a high-end coach or consultant for your business, how about instead I pull together a group of first-gen entrepreneurs where we can all help each other. So now this is like a peer-to-peer support type of situation where the price point is accessible to everybody, right? Uh, And so I'm really kind of rooting for the underdog here. The way I I view us, or we're we're the ones who have the cards stacked against us. We haven't inherited a business. We don't come from money. We weren't handed this network of valuable connections. You know, we, we don't have the advantages that some other folks do, right? But if you can get a bunch of smart people in a room who each come from their own area of expertise, now all of a sudden we can workshop our way through just about anything, right? And so this first gen community that I'm building is designed to now give you back all of those advantages that some of these other folks have. Uh, Maybe we can't hand you a bunch of wealth, you know, so that you've got a financial safety net, but we can give you a network of people that you know, like, and trust and who understand the challenges that you're going through and who can provide support. They can be that listening ear, the shoulder to cry on, the, the referral source that you need, the, uh, the advice or the perspective that you're not going to be able to come up with on your own because that's not how this works. Uh, so that's, that's my concept for this community. It's just a, a way to help people who are first in entrepreneurs to not just survive in their business, but hopefully we can all grow together and, and build these, these thriving, successful companies. Yeah, I think creating creating that space for people um and just knowing hey i'm building something that previous me would have been really grateful for exactly um is a really great way to ground yourself when building community i'm um i just applied to be on a a speaking panel for the community managers or content marketing summit and one of the things that I said about uh, that I wanted to bring up topic wise, or if I was going to be on a panel, you know, something that I would really want to, to have a conversation about is the intentionality behind building community and how just because a bunch of papers and metrics are showcasing that communities are a great way to drive revenue for a company, that we shouldn't turn communities into a commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yes by nature of the way that a community does things to a group of people, it builds trust. It creates these things. But as marketers, as business people, a lot of times when we get our hands on something, we tend to ruin it. Uh, We like drive it into the ground. It's like, cool. We can send mail. Awesome. Everybody's mailboxes are going to be full of shit. Right. Um, You know, same thing with email. Great. We're going to send 40 emails a day. Um, And so it's like allow communities to be what they are, which is people that create them, people that want to become a part of something bigger, people that want to feel like they're a part of something beyond themselves so that they can relate to other people. Um, The business, if there is a business opportunity, um, it'll show itself as the community continues to grow and ask for things. Like we're noticing that right now with Indie Collective, which is, um, we're like 500 members deep at this point. We have alumni that have been graduated from our cohorts two years, three years, 
um, that are still in the community. So now we have kind of like elders mentoring younger community members. And there's these, this cool like back and forth going on. And they're starting to ask for things that I would have never thought of designing mm. early on in the community process. Um, but I know that the goal is to create a space for people that are on a journey towards independence can have vulnerable conversations about what that journey is like. Right. Um, and then everything that I do is kind of like a byproduct of that. And I love, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show. I, I love when we first started talking how aligned both of us were around build the sandbox and then get out of the way, mm -hmm. you know, build the space for the conversations to happen, provide that beacon of leadership from the front and leading by example within vulnerability and having those conversations, but then allow your members to do what they do. And, they'll find what they need and, or they'll tell you and ask them, you know, ask them as much as you can talk to them, spend time with people, just get on a 30 minute call and don't have any intention behind it. And, you know, just enjoy a coffee, crack a beer, whatever time of day it is for you. It doesn't have to have an agenda. You can just hang out with people. Yeah. I, I'm a big believer in that. And I'm, I'm constantly trying to create this feedback loop where I'm, I'm asking and soliciting the members of my community, like what's working and what's not. Uh, what else can we introduce in this community to, to add more value? What things do we need to dial back on? You know, like there's, there's, there's quite a bit of ideas that I have, but you can, you can easily flood people, you know, with, with too much information too. And then simultaneously listening for common threads as to what people's pain points are and then figuring out how can I facilitate getting them a solution to that. And so I agree completely that you have to let the needs of the community and the desires of the people in the community to kind of drive the boat here as to what this thing becomes, because otherwise it's not really a community, is it? It's more like, hey, I've created this subscription thing that you pay me for and I tell you what to do. And here's right. Exactly. And that's I see so many people confusing a subscription based newsletter with a community. I'm like, yeah, this is that's like saying that you own a business and you're in MLM marketing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, very kind of close. Very different. Right. Um, very different. I do wish there was a better word than community. Not that I'm against the word community, but it's become a buzzword. And, right. you know, if you ask 10 different people what that word means, you're going to get 10 different responses. And so right. that one, I haven't, I haven't cracked that nut yet. Exactly how to do it. You know, the closest thing I've got is calling what we're doing more of a membership than a community there. I think there's some advantages there, but even still, that's, that's a little nebulous, you know? Um, and frankly, I'm still, this is still early on for me. I'm, I keep telling people I'm building the airplane while flying the airplane here, which is both exciting and terrifying at the same time, right. you know? So I don't know exactly what it's going to turn into, but I do know that if you just show up every day and you listen to what people are up against, you find ways to support them and you find ways to help them overcome their challenges that's valuable. Right. And that's the thing that I wished I had had. Like you said, that's, that is my, my touchstone is like, did I wish I had this? Yes. Okay. Then do it. No, then skip it. 
right? There's no time for that. So right, right. I I I definitely grapple with a lot of um, like English words for things like feel being bilingual or growing up bilingual, one of the things that I've noticed growing up is that English is a very mechanical language. It's very rational. It's very logic based. It's very helpful for like the STEM fields, very terrible at describing human emotion, feeling um, stuff like that. Like for example, like the, we have the word love, right. But then the Greeks have things like agape, or amore you know there's like nine different types of love in the ancient greek um syntax but english we just have the one word um or like in slovak there's this phrase called which means literal translation is good air but it means this like sensation or feeling that you get when you're outside immediately preceding a thunderstorm the wind's picking up, the clouds are swirling, the energy's in the air, and that wind hits your face and you take a deep breath. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know? So, like, how do you describe that? But if you were to say, Dobris Duch, that's exactly. like good air, if you're Slovak, like, you get that whole picture painted in your head. Right. And and for me, there's something, it's not community, right? It's There's something beyond it. Community's the word that we have to describe this thing, but it's really this, you know, place where I can feel vulnerable, but also be held accountable if I'm being like too much, if I'm being overly vulnerable or I'm like creating a victim mentality in my head, you know, Mm -hmm. but also with that accountability comes tact and respectfulness. And, you know, there's this mutual respect. There's this reciprocity. If I put into the community, the community is going to put into me, Um, you know, like with your version with the hot seat, it's like, I might be the person in the hot seat. I might be a panelist, but I might get my turn in the hot seat where I need to learn on the community mm-hmm. to help you with the problem. And there's so many things that go into that, that yeah. One word that is sadly becoming a buzzword being used by sales teams to describe subscription based bullshit to like a newsletter or a course program. Right. It's like, that's not what it is. And yeah. Yeah. That you're right. There's two challenges. One is the word getting watered down. And two is the definition of the word itself doesn't paint the full picture. Uh, in right. a way. So what we need to do then is just find the Greek word or some other language that, that sums all of that up somehow. And then do name the community, some spinoff of that. Now you got right. your kind of anchor. There we go. <laughs> I'll be able to trace it back to this episode. We're like, that's where we scaled it. That's um, right. Well, I like this- there's a I guess it's like a African proverb or something that you've probably heard, but they say, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's like I think that's not one word, but it is one, you know, it's like a good one liner that that really does start to capture that because you start to visualize you know going on a journey right. and you might not get there as quickly as if you were by yourself but there's safety in numbers not just physical safety but mental and emotional safety too right and and looking out for each other and that everybody brings something to the picnic so to speak right. it's not it's not just a bunch of people following one person like that's not what I'm about I want us as a group to succeed like that's I I want to 
not to get too philosophical, but it's like, I, I see entrepreneurship as the ticket. Like if you're currently lower class, this is how you're going to get to the middle class. If you're currently middle class, this is how you're going to get to upper class. Right. Or not even just financial, but like whatever you define success as, I think entrepreneurship is your best bet to get there if you're fit for it, basically. Right. Right. Agreed. Your chances Agreed. of getting there just working for somebody else, not that good. You know, now I'm biased. So anybody listening to this, take what I say with a grain of salt. But I think I got a lot of firsthand experience. But then I know a lot of people who would who would testify to that being the case. And so my mission really is like, you know, compared to when I was doing computer support, you know, fixing people's computers and printers and stuff is not the most fulfilling job in the world, which I know is shocking probably (laughs) to hear. But this, though, is like, man, if I can have a, even this a small hand and like helping someone succeed as an entrepreneur and then maybe multiply that a thousand times over, that's like really exciting to me because you can see the impact it has on people. Yeah. And, and the best community leaders that I've met and, and the ones that I really look up to in this space, it, it's been funny to me after being head of community here for the last year and um, realizing you know, when you're on the outside looking in, yeah, there's people that you look up to. And then when you get into the space, there's people that you look up to for completely different reasons. Um, Kind of similar to the whole entrepreneurial journey. Like Mm -hmm. I used to really look up to these large flashy entrepreneurs. And now I really look up to the humble, um, you know, workers that empower their teams so well that they don't even need to exist at the forefront of their companies. And the culture is still badass. I'm like, whoa, you know, that's so much more powerful than the egocentric. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It so totally is. And, and the, the community managers that I really look up to at this point are the ones that have decreased the amount of space between something that their community feels is right for them and them building that thing for the community. Um, they're almost like this. It's, it's a weird balance because it's at some point you have to be a mirror to the community and mirror those things back to them. And then at other times you have to tell them no. And stay true to the vision that you have for the community because you know that, that something is going to be detrimental for something that maybe that community member doesn't know or have access to because you're listening to 100 community members instead of just one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gets tough. And you have to be able to both be that kind of, you know, if we're looking at building civilizations, you're both kind of like the police force and the head of the union at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the, you're the business owner and the advocate for the community and you have to kind of grapple back and forth with that. Um, but the best ones are always asking questions. They're not perfect at it. They screw up. They build things for the community that they don't need. They adapt them. They scrap them. They build new things. Sometimes they miss a conversation that would have been so simple to have, but, you know, in retrospect it was so obvious but they can't believe that they missed it. And, and other times they hit the nail on the head and it's a, it, their community loves it. And the thread has 87 comments on it or, you know, whatever that looks like. But it's the people that are willing to be in the arena, that are willing to ask the questions, that are willing to have those meetings, that are willing to look stupid or silly sometimes um, in front of people. Like one of my shticks is, is dancing on Zoom calls to get people hyped up. <laughs> like, do I look goofy and, as hell in every single recording that we've ever posted? Yes. And every single time I get feedback from people, they're like, we need John to introduce our Zoom calls from, from now on. And like, right. Um, yeah. It's funny. I mean, it becomes a part way, of the I think culture. That totally depends on your ability to dance, though. Hey, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's some people who are like, please turn your video off and don't ever do that again. <laughs> I would be yeah. one of those. You'd be one. Yeah. yeah. So I love, I love everything that you're talking about. I love what you're building. Um, if people want to learn more about what you're building or they are a first generation entrepreneur and they'd be interested in becoming a part of your community, like where is the best place for them to do that? Yeah. So I'm going to be very cautious about how I do this one because a few weeks ago I was on another podcast uh, that has a pretty sizable following. And he asked me the same question and I completely bungled it. I was just like, get in touch with me on LinkedIn. And it was like afterward, like good grief, dude. What, what was I thinking? Like, so (laughs) my website is uh, firstgen.biz. So if you can see this on video, one, the number one, S-T-G-E-N.biz. Just go there. And then I know that that website whether you're listening to this, you know, the day after we've recorded or five years from now, that site is probably going to evolve and change and be a completely different animal. But I think that that's, that's the place to go. If you want to get in touch with me or learn more about the community, you'll be able to do it there. Cool. Cool. And I'll make sure that I include that link in the show description um, for anyone that's listening. Um, and then if you always, as always, I mean, you know, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you know that my DMs are always open. My emails are always open. I enjoy talking to y'all. Um, because at this point, uh, I'm used to all of your shenanigans and I'm not like blowing up somebody else's inbox. Um, so if you have any additional follow-up questions or you think that I should bring Andrew on again for another episode in the future, I always love having repeats back on to do more Q and a sessions to maybe get some direct Q and a you've gotten the chance to hear a little bit about his story today, but that doesn't mean that it has to be his last time coming to visit. So if you want, um, to have him back, uh, make sure that you make that recommendation as well. Uh, and until next time, this has been another episode of the Apex Podcast. I hope that everybody listening has a great, whether it's morning, afternoon, or whatever time it is um, that you're listening to this currently. I appreciate you coming to hang out with us. If you haven't hit the little bell or the subscription button yet, I'm watching. I know what the numbers are as far as people that listen. and It doesn't always match up for the number of people that are subscribed, and it drives me bonkers. So hit that little button and save me a little bit of sanity.